Hey, welcome to Thursday Night Bible Study with Heritage of the Saints Ministry. It's your girl, Apostle Glow. And if you tuned in with us for our first half of week three, then you heard Minister Marion ministering on what was hidden in the pattern of deliverance, the development of prayer. Now, deliverance does also have the production of fruit in our lives. The first fruit we'll discuss now is submission. Submission requires that we examine our thoughts because the body is subject to the mind. In order to obey God for deliverance that we partake in, we can't roll with ego, self, feelings, or fear. Also developed in deliverance is the fruit of patience. Deliverance teaches us that it will be in God's timing with God leading the way not in our own timing, nor with us leading. There's no trainer like deliverance. It might be uncomfortable, might be difficult, but nevertheless, God is trying to deliver you to destiny. Third, the testing points that we discover and are led to identify in deliverance through those tough situations, challenges, obstacles, and even encountering adverse people we learned that the testing points in life are actually areas in which God is trying to bring us to deliverance. And those testing points, which might become pain points, are actually prayer points. Deliverance trains you to evaluate yourself. And once you start accomplishing that at a certain level, then you may develop your attentive and heightened awareness that will be needed for the next level of discerning things, attempting or seducing you to go astray. Now, We'll spend most of our time in Matthew 22, where we encounter none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no better role model to model how to maintain and compose yourself for the accomplishment of deliverance. Jesus came to earth to deliver us from the penalty of sin. But while we remain here, we are being delivered from the habits of sin. In Matthew 22, through the parable, as well as his encounter with people committed to misunderstanding, Jesus reveals to us three key things. He reveals to us how to maintain being prayerful, how prayerfulness helps you maintain focus because it requires focus to make it to the cross and die to self. And we see revealed to us through the hidden pattern of deliverance, the person, the presence, and the essence of God the Father, the Son, and His Holy Spirit. So without much further ado, let's get going. All right, you guys, thank you again for joining us for another Thursday night Bible study with Heritage of the Saints Ministry. We are continuing in our examination and exploration of our Holy Bible for biblical truths regarding deliverance. Before we begin, I just want to go ahead and pray us into the session. So, Father, in the name of the Son, Jesus, we thank you that we're able to come together again. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you have your way in our meeting. Sit on the minds of all those who are on the line, those to come, and those in the future who will hear this broadcast. Open their minds. Open the scriptures to us. This is a mystery book, and we cannot do it with our natural minds. We need you, Holy Spirit, to reveal the things that are foolish to man unto us 
that we may grow into the fullness and stature of Christ that you have already made available to us. Through this session, Holy Ghost, let them hear the word of the Lord for deliverance. You not only deliver us from the snares, traps, and troubles of this life and in this world, but you also deliver us from emotional hurts. You deliver us from our traumas. You deliver us from anything that's hindering us from being our best and better selves. So thank you for opening our minds, giving us the revelation, the knowledge, and the insight that God does intend that we have the best of all that he has to offer. Let us grow in victory, in strength, encouraging you, trusting and relying on you, that you are the help that comes from the hills. Let's not lean on our own understanding this evening. Let us have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts prepared as good soil to receive your word as seed. Let it be nourished, let it be watered, and in due season, oh Father, we know that you will bring forth the harvest. So it is in Jesus's mighty and matchless name, I pray. It is so, amen. But just to recap on what you have missed um, for anyone who's new, For anyone who is um, new on our session and missed the last two sessions, they were a bit lengthy, but um, they those sessions are um, recorded and already broadcast. But just to recap, before we move into this week's lesson um, regarding deliverance, we have previously talked about in season one of Heritage of the Saints Thursday Night Bible Study, through our discussions of intimacy with God, which of course is the relationship with God, begin to know him. He already knows everything about you and he still will sit and ask you questions as if he doesn't know. The Bible is our written word, not only of God's testimony, this is his black and white statement. It's not just his testimony, but it also reveals his character, his personality, his love for us. And it was a love that gave such a great gift that it nailed his son to the cross. We began season one talking about intimacy with God, that relational get to know is his highest priority, but also impacts the direction, the trajectory of your life. So if you're not happy with where you are right now in life and you're looking for things to be on the upswing because you know you're destined for greatness, I can tell you the thing you're lacking is your time with God. You've sent your time out to other mundane things which do not profit you. They might profit temporarily in your, your carnal, in your body, but they don't profit you in your mental, in your emotional, in your psychological, nor in your spirit. The time we spend with God is a spiritual investment. People hit the gym investing in their bodies, building muscle, cutting fat. The same is true with our faith walk. You have to spend time with God and invest in God. People be trying to make a withdrawal where they haven't made a deposit. You can't go to a bank that you haven't made deposits of money in and make a withdrawal. 
I'd like to see someone try to do it. You can't do it. You make withdrawals from where you've made a deposit. A lot of people want from God. They don't give anything to them. They don't give their time to them. They won't tithe. This is what intimacy is all about. Get to know who he is. And he's so trustworthy, so faithful, so reliable, and not a man that he should lie. If you follow his word, trusting him with baby steps to allow him to grow you to grown people steps, you'll come to find out that the Bible was always telling the truth. It was the deceptions of the world that kept you back from God's best. So intimacy with God is his highest priority for our lives and determines the impact, the direction of our lives. Our second principle was obey God and leave all the consequences to him. When you obey God by his instruction, by his commands, by his direction, which come down to us through having a prayerful and devoted life and being acquainted with his word, because you need to know what he's talking about when he gives you an instruction. And by the way, God speaks to you in the same language of the word, the same language of the Bible that you are reading. So a lot of times people have missed their opportunities, um, the doors of opportunities, they've missed um, instruction, divine instruction, because God knows what he's doing because he could see ahead, but they've missed divine instruction, revelation, insight, and opportunity because God is going to speak to you in the word in which you're reading. And if you're reading in King James, but you speak the way in which we're conversing today, you're going to miss the instruction. So as we've been putting up on the board, the scriptures, um, we've seen scripture in the new international version. But if you're reading King James, the deed, the thou's, the art, and God sends his command that way and you miss it, you, you, you have to take responsibility for that. So I encourage everyone to have a Bible and a translation in which you can understand because you need to be ready and prepared for when he sends his command. He says that um, his word will not return to him void. He can't send a word to you if you're not ready and equipped to first hear it, hearken, which is listen with the intent to do it, and definitely, if not, you're not a person of obedience. So as we talked in John 15 about abiding in me as I abide in the Father, abiding in his love, in his essence, in his glory, abiding requires that you obey God. You must first be, there's a transactional chain of it. It begins with intimacy with God and his word, then it develops into okay now you're acquainted with my word and my instructions who i am how trustworthy faithful fair and just i am and i say i am as in god whose name is i am that i am but once you're intimate with that word and acquainted with that word then he starts to work on your obedience in little things he doesn't have you dive off the high dive into the pool. He's going to have you start diving off of the side of the pool first before he even puts you on the medium diving board. He's not going to send you up into the sky to jump into deep waters. He's going to start you in the kiddie pool with obedience. Simple little things like, hey, 
why don't you go ahead and set up your alarm tomorrow morning? Let's not get up at 11 o'clock. Let's get up at seven o'clock. Let's get up a little bit earlier. You don't need to understand why he's giving you the instruction. You just need to know that God is trustworthy. He loves you and he's going to bring you to no harm. And what you will find as you're acquainted and intimate with God and his word and you begin to obey him in the little things, then he'll give you a few more challenging things to obey him in. But even in the obedience, he's he's really preparing you and shaping you for the test that's going to deliver you. The testing brings testimony. So we must be obedient. We must submit to his word, which means we make his mission above our mission, his plans above our plans, and be so submitted that we're willing to just completely surrender and just be like, you know what? The surrender is what brings you into the abiding of not my will, but thy will be done. Lastly, he says that his word is an immovable anchor in the times of storm. The word of God is what's going to hold you during trying periods. Currently, right now, it's financial instability. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're not obeying how he's telling you to manage certain things in your life, because he intends that you not just survive, but that you thrive, you have to be intimate with his word and know that he has the best interest like any good parent for you. Jesus has the best interest for you as a brother. They call him the wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit speaks nothing of himself, but what he hears from the Father, what he hears from Jesus. Then he comes back and runs back to you and tells you what the truth of it is and will not lie to you. So we have to have intimacy with God. We have to obey God and we have to make his word an immovable anchor in our lives. Just like ships on the water are anchored, you need to drop his word in your life and not be moved by the storms of life. Now, obedience is achieved through sanctification of the spirit. At the time you confess, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you have salvation. Salvation delivers us from the penalty of sin. And that penalty was death, which is separation from God, spiritual separation. Yes, you continue on living in the world, but tell me how life is going when you're disconnected from God. It's a disconnect because God is holy and pure that sin cannot dwell in his presence. Sanctification by the Holy Spirit, because that's the inheritance we gain when we receive salvation. Sanctification is the process of now being delivered from the habits of sin. We are no longer subject to the penalties of sin, which are death, separation from God, whose consequences are hell. We are now delivered from that. So the penalty of sin, once you receive salvation, that's not on your radar. Now our radar is to maintain focus on Jesus and allow the saint, the sanctification of the spirit who's going to work on your mind, reading scripture, and work on your personality, those the 
deficiencies of your personality, what you're lacking in, where you're not bearing fruit in. And he's going to work on the wounds, the injuries, the hurts, the strongholds that the enemy is using to um, get you to commit certain acts that make you not proud of yourself, bringing you then into condemnation and shame. Not all people, let me back that up. Just like good people do bad things, there are bad people who can do good things. Everyone's not a bad person. What we have is a good person with a hurt, a wound, a trauma, an injury, a memory, a deception that the enemy, because we're, we're talking spirit, we're talking, there's a good spirit and evil spirits. There are spirits of light, spirits of darkness. We're talking about the spirits of darkness that then manipulate through a stronghold of a hurt, a wound, a deception or an injury to get you to act in an unsavory manner, to get you to act rudely with impatience because impatience is, God is so patient and long suffering. Think about how much time he allowed you to go about your doings and you just forgot about him. And he sat and patiently waited for you to return. So review Galatians 5. It gives you the separator between the fruit of the spirit and what I would say are the fruits from the seeds of darkness. What the enemy has done is he's tried to mirror God's kingdom. He's literally duplicated, but his duplications come with consequences and curse. Sanctification through um, the spirit breathing on scripture, giving you revelation, giving you insight, giving you a know-how to put you two steps ahead, ahead of the enemy or ensuring that you never lose a battle. Sanctification delivers you from the habits of sin because we're in this process. His intent is number one, that we know him, but two, that you arrive at your best self as he has created you. So sanctification is delivering you from the habits of sin, the sin nature, the simple thoughts, you know, those negative thoughts, those, those negative connotations that are leading you, negative ideologies and paradigms, negative or, or adverse actions, behaviors, and conduct. Because what you want, what God seeks to bring forth as should you, because you're willing, you've made yourself available. New character and conduct with the evidence of this internal work that we're doing. Your heart work is hard work, as Pastor Keon said. And when, when we are experiencing pain, your pain points are prayer points. If something is hurting you, that's a, make that a point to go pray to God about. The fruit is the end product of the root. No good tree produces bad fruit, and a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. Our fruits of deliverance are submission. So, so though these things are testing you and trying you, when you have relationship with God and you're allowing him to give you the instruction, despite the pain, despite how uncomfortable it is or how unsavory maybe a situation is, submission, number one, because we're submitted to wherever God is counseling us about or revealing a truth to us about, it, 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 it causes you to examine your thoughts because again, as 
Minister Marion said, the body is powerless. It is subject to the soul and you have to subject your soul to your spirit. Prayer helps with the enfolding of our Trinity because we're a Trinity as God is a Trinity. But our Trinity needs to do an inward folding and the body, the soul must bow to the spirit, but you got to make sure your spirit is hooked up to the spirit of God, which is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Your spirit could, if you had adverse teachings, be hooked up to the spirits of darkness. And then, of course, the fruits of that connection would be a wickedness and evil. That's what we're seeing in this world. But a spirit that is submitted and connected to the spirit of God, that spirit is going to produce the good fruit of Galatians 5, 22 through 25. Another of that fruit, because of your obedient submission, which is work through deliverance, it will teach you patience. The way God teaches you patience is putting you in situations in which you can act in patience. It's a constant testing. You will keep receiving your same test until you're able to conquer and pass it. Once you pass that test, you get promoted to a new level. You are taught to wait on the Lord and learn God's timing when we're putting in patient situations. And it's, when you're in impatient situations, it's usually your flesh that's trying to get you to move in a manner in which it wouldn't produce the fruit of God. God's timing is perfect and deliverance is in his time, not ours. David, King David, David with the slingshot who slew Goliath, profited from enduring trials and persecutions, but he also received spiritual growth, spiritual refreshment, which is critical when you're sitting in a hard place. Again, testing in your life points to an area God is working to bring you deliverance. The battle is over your mind. Your mind is the battleground for the enemy. We are free moral agents but we must subscribe to the word of God and not the standards of the world because the standards of the world will have you accept a mediocrity and the things that seem to be okay, which are really unprofitable and can actually diminish us, not just in our, in our, um, in our positions in the world, but they can diminish us across our body, our soul, and make us go into a spiritual decline where we start to feel hopeless about things. You need the Holy Spirit's aid and help in accomplishing um, winning the battles of obedience. As you continuously begin to stack up your wins, because even when it seems like it was a loss, it was really a lesson. So you, God's gonna actually take you back over different instances in your life where you felt like a failure and you felt like you lost because there's a lesson embedded in that and if you can pull that lesson when another situation comes around he'll start reminding you of you remember what happened there remember the lesson you gained you were able to draw from that time to apply it this is how god works he doesn't give you a test without first preparing you with the answers and if you're a good student you're you're studious to study your self-examination is a study of what has been because what will be some of that stuff can't come along your load 
to build obedience will increase and what will help you be successful are your pastoral relationships and fellowships with other Christians who are like-minded. They are vital. We're talking about vital just as blood is vital to your being. Deliverance trains you to evaluate yourself because you are attentive and have now a heightened awareness of discerning things that are attempting to seduce and have you go astray from God, his word, his way, and his will, you find that now you start having increased wisdom. He said, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Wisdom is knowledge that is applied and understanding of God's purposes and plans, you'll come to find out why you had to sit and take that test for so long or why he allowed you to sit in a holding pattern while he was working on you for deliverance and promotion to the next level. Deliverance has a way of making you put your sights on God um, because you know the, the waves of this life at times will be difficult and it may seem like they're trying to oversweep you. But if you maintain line sight with God, just as Peter did with Jesus on the water, if you'll fixate on him, you'll find yourself walking on the water. God has left us a blueprint, the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible, following it, following the pattern, being able to hear the audibles of God as he's literally authoring what you need to do not only for building the ark that'll save you and your family like he did Noah, but so that you also have a testimony and now you're saving and changing your family's trajectory. Deliverance definitely helps you build a prayer life because you're being forced to turn inward. There'll be some situations where you can't talk to everybody about what's going on, but the person who will keep your confidants the person who you can be confident in, the person who's going to offer you sound advice. And that advice is hinged and, and, and founded on truth and omniscience, a God that is all-knowing, complete truth. There's no lie in him, no sin to be found in him. He's going to keep it 100 with you. So develop a, a life of being devoted to time with God, and that's what devotionals help build. Though they're a short snippet, I call them like a little snap. Devotionals help you start acclimating your mind to God, not only who he is, but how he is with his children, the believers and the followers of Christ. The process of the, life is a process and deliverance too is also a process. And because our faith walk is us being life in process, grace is needed because sanctification is going to be undoing and helping us unlearn the bad behaviors, the deceptions that we've come to accept as okay, that does not align with God, who he is and what his word says. Deliverance, you find that all three of our life principles are critical in that process. Jesus, his mode of ministry is 
the quintessential example of intimacy with God, leading a prayer life, being completely devoted and submitted to the plans of God, being immovable in the word, and obedience. And these same things, how Jesus modeled it, he taught it and passed it on to his disciples because Jesus would soon go away. But he had to leave them in the earth so that through flesh, they could affect other flesh. We have surrendering and submission. And I just want to briefly touch on how we kind of came together with those definitions. But surrendering to God, we admit that he is ultimately in control of everything including our present circumstances. Surrendering helps us to let go of whatever has been holding us back from God's best for our lives. And by surrendering, we let go of whatever has kept us from wanting his ways in the first place. Submission is the humble obedience to God's will. And we position ourselves with him being our authority orchestrating the mission so he's calling the shots and i trust you so much i'm gonna do whatever you say to do because i trust you and in your instruction and in your commands are protection and provision the dispensation of grace is jesus's way of doing things and the, we know from his word that jesus's mode of operation his vehicles are faith love and grace so as we Go ahead and really start sitting in tonight's message, which is what's hidden in the pattern of deliverance. Through my own experience, my relationship with God, we pick what I'm supposed to be learning. Like I can sit in with God, listen to him, be able to draw from his word wherever he has directed me to, to see what we're working on with me to help me arrive at my best self, to change my life, change my, my situations, put me in the direction of where you had your plans for me, to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope in the future. But it requires intimate time. And I also have to be submitted to circumstances that I wouldn't choose. A lot of times the things that we are frustrated with and angry about because we're in them, God is using that because he's gonna work it all together for your good. The Bible is a mystery book, but it's, it's a present book and a futuristic book. It's not just a historical book. The Holy Spirit has to breathe on scripture and bring it alive to you. And once you have so much of the word dwelling in you, then you're the word made flesh just like Jesus was. And guess what? That's his ultimate goal, that when when God peeks over the banister of heaven and looks down on earth, he sees all these tiny light bulbs because they're the lights that will culminate to the light of the church because it's the light that Mary, the light of the church that marries Jesus. We're his bride. And that doesn't matter if you're male or female. But the Holy Spirit must open the scriptures to us. So I'm gonna go ahead and um, go back to our Bible board because unbeknownst to either one of us, Mr. Marion and myself are actually sitting in the same chapter this, of the same book of the Bible. My verses are the loud verses. 
So we're going to go ahead and swing around to second Corinth. I'm sorry, first Corinthians two. And Minister Marion really hammered on those uh, scriptures nine, nine through 10. But where I want to start is actually at verse 11. Now, I'm going to actually change our translation for the purposes of, I want to make sure that this really lands with you. And as I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has to open scriptures to you, he has to reveal the mystery of our real word. So it says in verse 11, and I'm reading from the Amplified, It reads, for what person knows the thoughts and motives of a man except the man's spirit within him? So also no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. We also speak of these things, not in words taught or supplied by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining and interpreting spiritual thoughts with spiritual words for those being guided by the Holy Spirit. But the natural unbelieving man does not accept the things, the teachings and revelations of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness absurd and illogical to him and he is incapable of understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciate and he is unqualified to judge spiritual matters this is the natural man you being in your flesh unqualified we see the rash decisions that we can make because we move through the flesh instead of moving through the spirit seeking god first hey, i need some help help i'm ready to turn up and him giving you an instruction of calm down, counts to 10, or maybe the instruction is go ahead and just go ahead and walk away. Sometimes you don't always need to respond to someone who's contrary to you. He'll tell me to shut up. No need to defend yourself to someone who's committed to misunderstanding you. Continuing on, 15. But the spiritual man, the spiritually mature Christian judges all things, questions, examines, and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals. You must be slow to speak, swift to hear, and even slower to wrath. Because if you, you're just gonna go ahead and run ahead, then you sometimes you run yourself right into trouble. You'll run yourself right into that bad reputation. Slow down. Give the spirit a moment to be able to move and give you an instruction. Yet is himself judged by no one. The unbeliever cannot judge and understand the, the believer's spiritual nature. For who has known the mind and purposes of the Lord so as to instruct him? You can't tell God what to do. 
your ways are not his ways and your thoughts are not his thoughts. But we have the mind of Christ and that comes through the renewal of your mind and setting your mind in the heavenly realm to be guided by his thoughts and purposes. So Jesus as salvation, the lamb of God, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world is our deliverance. Deliverance was packaged in salvation. Deliverance got nailed to the cross just with Jesus and he outpoured it. But you have to hear, you have to renew your mind because an unrenewed mind won't receive the instructions and the direction or the commands of God through the Holy Spirit. Packaged in our salvation were health, healing, wisdom, power, honor, riches, triumph, and victory. And the list goes on and on, but you need to read your word so that the Holy Spirit can open up the great gift of salvation. Now tonight we're gonna sit in Matthew 22, for hidden in the power pattern of deliverance is what would Jesus do? Our Bible gives us what would Jesus do? Jesus being salvation and being deliverance, he gives us what he would do. These kingdom truths are veiled in comparisons. And so throughout the Bible, uh, particularly either in a King James or a new King James version, you're going to hear, the kingdom of God is likened unto. So we're going to swing now into Matthew 22, which is where the majority of our time will sit. And so we'll begin, and I'm going to read this in the Amplified, but where you see the kingdom of heaven may be compared to um, in verse one, you'll see it in other translations, the King James, and this is why I'm telling you, it's so important to have a translation of the Bible that you can understand because it's like reading algebra to someone who only has a math level, a uh, math level of addition. It's going to be too complex. I found myself um, unwilling to sit in my Bible and impatient enough in the King James Version. So when I found the Charles Stanley Life Principles um, New American Standard Bible, which spoke plainly to me, as I continue to spend more and more time, my diet for the Bible change, I wanted to ingest more and know more and learn more about God, his kingdom and the love of Jesus, learn more about the prophets, the apostles. And then it started to really open up to me to now become more than just a historical book and a mystery book. It started to become the love letter and the instruction manual for me. So when I'm experiencing difficulty in my life and I'm praying about it and God sends his word, I can go to my Bible and now I have a kind of a, a roadmap of where we're headed, what we're sitting in, but I also have 
foresight to where we're going because I know I'm not going to sit in this place too long because his plans, his purposes, his ways, and his wills are that I prosper, I be in health, my soul prosper, I'm glorified with Christ. And so if I'm not sitting in that, I know we're on our way to it. This is just something I have to pass through. I have to endure it and persevere. There are some things that he'll just say, no, nah, my child ain't fencing that. And he'll give you a way of escape. But there are other things you have to go through. And when you're on the other side, you realize that through that journey, though it was unpleasant, you learned so much. In Matthew 22, we're sitting in um, a chapter of the Bible where Jesus is doing what he has sent, been sent here to do. He's submitted to the mission of God. So his submission is deliver the people. This is a, a eternal deliverance, but there's also physical manifestations of it as well. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his service to call those who had previously been invited to the wedding feast, but they refused to come. Then he sent out some other servants saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calves are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So this is about to be a lit wedding reception but they paid no attention. They disregarded the invitation, treating it with contempt. They turned their nose up and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. Somebody went to work, like I ain't concerned about that. I'm not going to that wedding reception. Another one may have went to either their tiny house or their condo, but they didn't feel a need to come to this wedding feast. But they paid no attention and disregarded the invitation. The rest of the invited guests seized, with, seized his servants and mistreated them. So the people that God, uh, I'm sorry, the, the people that the king sent to go, you know, invite these people, the people who, who turned down the invitation, turned up their nose, now seized the, the messenger, the one who was delivering this invitation to this great feast and mistreated them, insulting and humiliating them and killed them. The king was enraged when he heard this and sent his soldiers and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. So the king found out the messengers that he sent and his servants were harshly treated. And so he returned wrath for that action. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main highways that lead out of the city and invite, the, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. So now the ones who were intended the special invites, they rejected the invitation. And he's like, okay, fine, don't worry about it. Got you. You don't have to come to the party anyways. And so he goes and grabs people who weren't on the original invitation list those servants went out into the streets and gathered together all the people they could find both good and bad so the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests sitting at the banquet table 
But when the king came in to, to see the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed appropriately in wedding clothes. And he said, friend, how did you come in here without wearing the wedding clothes that were provided for you? And the man was speechless and without excuse. Then the king said to the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness outside. In that place, there will be weeping, sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth because they'll be distressing in anger. For many are called, invited, summoned, but few are chosen. This is Jesus trying to teach a kingdom truth plainly to people who may not be scholarly or academically inclined, but he wanted to make sure that this truth would take root in their hearts and that understanding would come across their minds. He wanted to explain what, what the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light and love and peace and joy is like. But amongst his crowd also were the Pharisees, the ones with status, power because they are the ones governing the church the religious sect they are the ones over the synagogue they're over the the preaching they're over the um ministering they are the ones who are over um the at the time the sacrifices because they they didn't have tithes offerings and sacrifices the way we have it now their mode of um implementing uh the commands of god for tithes offerings and sacrifices involved pigeons lambs goats um bulls because we're talking about a dated time Nevertheless, the word is still good and the word has moved forward. And now our tithes, offerings and sacrifices are through monetary or it can be through um, a sacrifice of your time. When it's most inconvenient, it can be a sacrifice of clothing, of food. God has his ways. But the Pharisees essentially are the ones in power, they have societal prestige. And for the Jews, they were the ones who were the ruling authority until the Messiah hits the scene. So the Pharisees, and who are a, a group of religious leaders, not all of them, but they're contrary to the message that Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees went and conspired together, plotting how to trap him, how to trap Jesus by distorting what he said. They sent their disciples to, let me back up. How many people try to distort what you have said? They sit, they listen, they plot, try to distort what they said, and then try to go run with, with that message. And that wasn't even what you said. So if it happened to Jesus, what makes you exempt from it happening to you? They sent their disciples. So the Pharisees had their own little set of disciples. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians saying, teacher, 
We know that you are sincere and that you teach the way of God truthfully. They trying to be slick. Without concerning yourself about what anyone thinks or says about your teachings. For you are impartial and do not seek anyone's favor and you treat all people alike regardless of status. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it permissible according to Jewish law and tradition to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? They were trying to get Jesus to tell them that they should do tax evasion so that instead of the Jews planning to kill them, they could use the Romans to come crucify Jesus. But Jesus aware of their malice He's all-knowing. That's what omniscience is. God is all-knowing. You can't lie to him. You can't cap him. Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius, a day's wage. The denarius is the equivalent of our monetary system, how we have dollars and coins. The denarius is their money uh, their form of exchange while Jesus was on earth. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? So on a quarter we have, I believe it's George Washington on one side and the eagle on the other side. Their denarius had, they said the emperor Tiberius Caesar's. Then he said to them, then pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. The things that are of God have not been made by man. When they heard this, they were caught off guard and they left him and went away. He shut them up. The only thing that could shut someone up is an absolute deniable, undeniable truth. Truth is absolute. It does not change despite changing facts or circumstances. On that day, some Sadducees. Now, this is another portion of the society. So if we're trying to compare the Jewish society of this time to the society of today, we have the people in charge or in positions of power of the church. And then you might have the ones who are like your politicians. And then you might have your elite status people who are that one percenter. The, the infrastructure of society might change based on region and location or the time, but because there's nothing new under the sun, this is why this book is alive. This is why they say that the word of God is a living word. It is living water and Jesus has to reveal it to you. On that day, some sages who say that there is no resurrection of the dead came to him and asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies, leaving no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his widow and raise children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. The second also died childless, and the third down to the seventh. 
So all the guys that the woman would have to marry because it was a patriarchal society and to maintain your possessions and the inheritance from a husband or to keep it in the family, they would have you marry the husband's brothers to maintain that uh, line of connection to the property. Um, at that time, unless it was ordered by God, um, typically women weren't owners like we are today. Now we can go out, we can buy homes, we can buy land, buy property, own a business. We've evolved in how um, we do life now. At that time, it was not so. And so um, to not bear a male heir or to be married or, or be able to continue, um, you could find yourself destitute. And so God was just trying to always make sure women, the women as men are equally taken care of. God is equal in his care for his children. So the woman, seven marriages, all the husbands die. There's no son. Last of all, the woman dies. So in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all married her. Jesus replied to them, you are all wrong because you know neither the scriptures, which teach, number one, the resurrection, that there is an eternal life on the other side, nor the power of God, that he is able to raise the dead. For in the resurrection, neither do men marry, nor are women given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven who do not marry nor produce children. We're all there to glorify and be with God. But as to the resurrection of the dead, have you not read in scripture what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, muzzling the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, so this is someone who's an expert in the 613 laws of Moses or so he thought, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is unselfishly. Seek the best or higher good for others. The whole law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. Now, while the Pharisees were still gathered together, still plotting, still being haters, still trying to get rid of Jesus, Jesus asked them a question. What do you Pharisees think of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one? Jesus asked them what they thought of him the one who already knows your thoughts and intents of your heart. Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Jesus asked them, how is it then that David by inspiration of the spirit, that means through revelation, through a download, through insight, 
calls him Lord saying, and Jesus uses the written scripture. The Lord, the father said to my Lord and the parentheses are gonna give us the um, emphasis we need for understanding. The Lord said to my Lord, so the father said to the son, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, Jesus oftentimes will talk about what he's already going to do before he does. It. So then if David calls him the son, the Messiah, Lord, how is he David's son? Because we have to remember that God is a spirit and Jesus is God, fully God and fully man at the same time. His deity came down from heaven, entered in the womb of Mary and entered into this world wrapped in flesh. When Jesus asked them this question, no one was able to say a word to him and answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to question him again. Truth will always shut people up. So when we're talking about these kingdom truths, Following up what Minister Marion has already talked about, how prayer is our telephone line to heaven, to God. And it's not like we have to go through a whole bunch of reroutes of customer service. Through salvation, we get immediate entrance to God with our prayers. But prayer is you letting go of you. You allow the bowing of your trinity to the trinity of God. And sometimes he has to put you in situations where you don't know how you're going to get out of this, nor do you have the willpower to do it. It's going to take a miracle. He loves a miracle setup because he's the only one who can produce and perform a miracle for you. Prayer can catch you in to the request for the pulling down of miracle signs and wonders. God answers prayers for deliverance, but it will be done his way, not ours. We receive deliverance by the cross of Christ. That's the completed work. But our lives are a series of processes of deliverance and sanctification. When Jesus crucified himself on the cross, because he put his life down and picked it back up. The crucifixion was to first prepare the Jews and then the Gentiles. His apostles carried the message of Christ. And today we have our pastors, our prophets, our preachers, our teachers, and our evangelists. Because we seek that through the confession of Romans 10, 9, that none, God desires that none perish, but that all men be saved. Jesus came as the Messiah, but not in the form in which the Jews expected. They were praying for the Messiah. It just didn't come how they wanted it to come. It didn't come how they expected the Messiah to come. Jesus' deliverance of the Jews from the Roman oppression wouldn't be him riding in as, as the king on top of a horse overthrowing Roman powers, but he would come in meek, lowly of heart, fully of love, full of faith, and filled with the Holy Ghost to deliver people. 
David's deliverance, as we're talking about kings, David's deliverance is actually embedded in Samuel Chronicles and Kings. Though God doesn't, uh, I'm sorry, though the word of God doesn't implicitly run the gamut, when we're reading about how David ascended to the throne, David was left in the field tended to the sheep. When Samuel came to the house looking for the king who will replace Saul, Jesse lined up all his other sons and the oil would not flow. So he asked Jesse, do you have another son? And Jesse, his father is just like, yeah, but he, he already kid. He's out there with the sheep. Like we, we ain't worried about him. We ready to get one of these boys anointed, get you in the palace and we finna be on from here. But Samuel being the prophet submitted to the authority of God was like, no, call him in. David didn't even know he wasn't invited to the party by his own dad. So we're talking about David first being delivered from the sheep field where he's out tending to the flock because the sheep are a form of currency during this time. So he's actually stewarding his father's inheritance. So one of the things that gets you promoted with God is being a good steward. Secondly, because God knows how hardworking he was, how responsible and diligent he was to keep the flock, David maximized his time in the fields playing his instruments, which would later get him to a position in the palace. But first, David's primary deliverance was from, of course, he already knew God because he was a man after God's heart. He had that. But this deliverance is about the deliverance from rejection of family. After the rejection of family, while he's dealing with Saul and playing the heart for his tormented, no, let me back up. Before we even get to the palace, he's in the valley, valley of Elah. Now David is delivering Israel from the Philistines and the giant Goliath. Once he wins that battle, because he allows God to use him, He's using, he's standing on God's word for his movement, his instruction of what to do. He's delivered into the palace as an armor bearer to Saul. And now he's playing the harp for Saul, who's under a tormenting spirit because Saul is disobedient to God's ways of doing things and being king that he doesn't even know the man playing his, the harp for him is really his replacement. David becomes subject to now the person who is in a king position trying to kill him. So David now has to be delivered from assault, manslaughter, and attempted murder on his life. We see David, while he's on the run from Saul, get delivered from a wound, an injury, because David knew he could fight. David knew he was good because he killed a bear, he's killed a lion, he's killed Goliath. So he's really that man that you want in your, in, in your war platoon. But when he encounters Nabal, David's ready to set it off and go to, and kill this man. But David needs to be delivered from his wrath to be sitting in the position of a king because a wrathful king could bring a city to ruin. Sometimes our deliverance isn't just us and God, but God will send someone to help deliver you. We have Abigail there. Then we see once he's in his position, 
though he's worshiping the Lord, he's singing psalms, he's giving tithes, offerings, and sacrifices to God. No one's perfect. David has a mess, mess up. He messes up with Bathsheba and then tries to conceal the sin by killing Uriah, her husband. So now God sends the prophet Nathan to get David together, to convict him of the sin. Because when you're in God, God's kingdom, it's conviction, it's correction, it's discipline. It is not condemnation, shame, and guilt. It's to get you to change the, what you have done, repent and turn from that and follow back after God. That's what repentance is for. Now David needs to be delivered from his penalty of sin because they're still under the law. So he repents and because of his swift repentance, he didn't put God on wait or on hold because of his swift repentance. Yes, he still suffered a consequence because being a child of God does not exempt you from consequences for your disobedience. The first child did die. Nevertheless, God gave him Solomon who would be the one to send his seat after him. There's much more to the story that we don't have time for, but just think about all the second chances and third and fourth and fifth and so on that God gives you. This is going to reveal to you as you spend time with God, his word and allow him to engage you in this relationship who God really is, just how merciful, how compassionate, how loving, how forgiving, how redeeming, how restorative, how rejuvenating, how saving our God really is. Because the fact of the matter is we're often identified by what we do rather than who we are. We are a spirit living in a, uh, having an earthly experience in a fleshly body. We, in this earth realm, are shaping in iniquity. We're in a world of sin. And so with all the exposures that we have, if you're not acclimated to the word of God as your center, we're unstable because of the eating of the tree of good and evil. We need to be focus align on God's word and that's what time in his word will do it'll acclimate you and pull you to the center Jesus reveals through Jesus's coming he reveals to us our imperfections and why we needed um a perfect sacrifice to redeem us from the curse of the law he shows us what God does what God will do and who he is and one thing about God when people try to talk about the wrath of God throughout the Bible, God goes to war for his children. But if his children are disobedient, yes, he'll turn you over to yourself because you won't listen, you won't heed his counsel. How many times do you learn that, that one time, you just need that one time, you don't need that test no more because he turns you over to yourself. He lets you sit in it. He sat quiet and he let it run its duration before he either pulled you out or made the way of escape. That look the time in that situation sometimes teaches you, I'm not ever going to make that decision ever again. He has to deliver you from stupid sometimes. 
Jesus modeled God's word, his will, his ways, his plans, and his purpose to the smallest letter of the Jewish alphabet, which is the jot and tittle. And his followers, Jesus' followers are identifiable by their fruit. Galatians 5, 22 through 25, the fruits of the fruit of the spirit. So study God's word over and over, learn it, apply it, because it reveals God who has been pressing your activation button. The potential has always been there, but the word of God allowing it to do its surgery on your soul, it's going to press that activation button so we can activate you for your best self. Activate you for life and not death not destruction and not deactivation. Some of us are sitting in a deactivated mode. Let this word activate you. He seeks to activate you for your destiny. But the things that will get you put out of the place that he's trying to promote you to, he deactivates those things. So throughout this parable, Jesus is teaching these things. Jesus shows us, even with dealing with the difficulty of the Pharisees, being submitted to God is imperative for maintaining focus. Jesus was able, in a crowd of his believers and his followers, even with the Sadducees, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, and the Pharisees amongst him, he was still able to effectively teach and correct at the same time with Matthew 22. Matthew 22 is teaching us how the Pharisees and people um, under the under the control of spiritual darkness and wickedness, how they treat the service of God, harshly humiliating them and killing them. He takes notice. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus came to what class? Save the world and not judge it, at least not yet. And this is why he's giving these kingdom truths in a parable, because he's trying to give them time to examine themselves, submit themselves, seek God, repent, and then move forward with the kingdom. But some of them, some people are just so stubborn and obstinate that they, they won't receive the truth because they've been presented with so many lies that look more truer than the truth. And those lies lead you astray. God desires that none perish. In Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account there's an accounting you never know when that numbers your number's gonna pop up there's an accounting count he says uh um Ah, I can't, it's escaping me, but teach me the number of my days. Are you prepared if your number comes up tomorrow? Have you done due diligence with your, with your soul and with, with your spirit that 
you know you're going to enter heaven's gates. And salvation isn't just about heaven. It's so, it's so much bigger than that. It's about separation from God. The Amplified reads, for the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit. We've been talking about this trinity. We are made of three parts, spirit, soul, and body, the completeness of a person and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart and not a creature that exists is concealed from his sight. But all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. Now, fitting behind verses 12 and 13, because again, scripture is a mystery book without the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until I was preparing for this message last night that I saw it. So I've read to you guys out of both the King James Version and the Amplified Version. And we've read verses 12 and 13. But then when I saw it, my mouth dropped. Because he's given us the instruction of allowing God's word to work in our life that is living, it's active, and it's full of power to energize, make us operative and effective. That's the activation. And, and it does the surgery that we need for the repairs of the wounds, the injuries, the hurts, the, the perceptions that are marred and the deceptions that our mind have taken hold of um, in us that cause us to do the things that we, we would not do. That's getting out of character or, or acting contrary to God's word. After reading 12 and 13, he put my eyes on verse 11 because He's explaining to you why the, the word of God is so important for, it's the only thing that could truly help you arrive at your best self. Anything else is always short-lived. Just like those fad diets, it don't last long. The weight comes back. And usually it comes back more than what you lost initially. So why do we let, let God's word operate on us? to energize us and make us effective, help us arrive at our best self, to mature us, to give us the God-like nature and not the nature of this world. Verse 11, let's go. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. He is trying to deliver you to rest. And we're talking about the rest of your spirit, your soul, and your body. Rest, the rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves. 
We're talking about the, the peace that is unsurpassable, the joy that's unexplainable, so that no one will fall by following the same example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. In Exodus, there were those who were disobedient and missed the promised land, the land of Canaan, entering into houses they did not build with their own hands, the, the land of overflow of milk and honey, and they set grapes so big you could carry them. They missed it because they would not heed the word that God gave down to Moses. They won't follow instructions. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They would not listen. And God was trying to deliver them to rest. Aren't you tired of doing it your way? Give God one year of your life and do it his way. You're going to slowly find yourself falling into more and more rest and more peace and more joy. You've been trying to do it your way. You've been trying to follow the Instagram fad. You've been trying to follow TikTok teachings. Get off of that and get in his word. Jesus focused on the mission to deliver us to total rest. Rest of our souls in this world and in the age to come because once you transition you're going one or two places and if it's not to heaven that other place there is no rest there's no rest for the wicked don't cap yourself into thinking otherwise rest does not indicate and i really want to emphasize this so i have it highlighted and please once you um once this hits the broadcast please review it because I'm, I'm actually over time, but this is imperative. Rest does not indicate the absence of obstacles and challenges arising in life. It does not indicate the absence of these things. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but it dictates peace and confident trust Belief in the reigning sovereignty of the triumphant God El Shaddai. Jesus had to be prayerful. Jesus couldn't skip prayer with what he was about to accomplish for us. It would only be prayer that could help hold him in the abiding love of God to, to submit himself to the pain of a crucifixion. Prayer is necessary for sticking to the mission and it also develops your discipline and your discernment. We'll hit more on discipline and discernment um, next week, but you have to be disciplined and be able to discern how God would have you move. You have the Bible to instruct you. He was God fully, but also a man. So Jesus thoroughly understands, he's well acquainted to how difficult seasons um, and adversity, people who are um, obstinate and contrary to you, he knows how that feels. He's been there. But our parable that I want to focus on now, and I want you guys to take time to reread um, first. Corinthians 2 and Matthew 22, because Matthew 22, this parable that Jesus is using about the wedding feast, the groom, the son, 
um, the king. The king is God, the father, the, who, who sent out these invitations because Jesus is marrying the church. That's you and me and those who believe and have made the confession. Jesus, of course, is the son and the servants are his pastors, his preachers, his prophets, his apostles, his teachers, his evangelists. The church is the bride. But there are some who will reject the invitation. There are some in times past and currently because around the world, we still have Christians who have to, they, they have to, um, they have to hide their Christianity because they're living in regions where they murder Christians. They can't be as outwardly and outspoken with the liberty that we have in some of these places around the globe. So servants are, are, were murdered then and they're still being murdered now. But what Matthew 22 is ultimately trying to teach us is that when you're fully aligned and your you're, 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 you're being is fully connected to God, the energizing, the activation, and the power, you can do supernatural things. You will have supernatural understanding and revelation. You'll be able to sidestep certain things that have been snagging you in the past because with God, when you, Joshua 1 and 8, meditate his word day and night, you hearken to do it, it will not only prosper you but give you good success all throughout the bible he's talking about prospering you um that the work of your hands will be prosperous he's giving you the power to get well um in the old testament elijah outran the chariot of ahab which was actually pulled by horses can you imagine outrunning a horse in sandals and in a garment in sandals he ain't got no Nikes or Jordans on, sandals. Philip, once he baptized the eunuch, he was delivered miles away from the water where the baptism took place. Nothing but the spirit of God and supernatural and destruction of physical laws can make that happen. Noah, built in the face of unbelievers, they ostracized and mocked Noah as he built this ark for rain that was to come and they had never seen rain at that time. But guess who got saved? The one who heard the instruction and the commands of the Lord followed and built regardless of what everybody else had to say. And now we have the church as the evidence. So the natural man, the unrenewed man who has not renewed his mind to the word of God will not be able to comprehend or behold any of the things that the spirit has revealed this day. Renew your mind daily, pick up your cross and die to yourself daily. Yeah, it's that shut up and walk away when you really don't want to, when you can really get them together. It's through deliverance, that process because, I'm sorry, processes, because it's going to continuously come to develop you 
um, from children of God. We're all children of God once we receive salvation. But it's, it's coming to develop you from being children to then being sons and daughters. That's the promotion he's trying to work you to. Because children do not control the inheritance of God. They don't control his riches, his honor, or are put in positions of power. They're, you will not be established in these, these positions if you're still in an immature spiritual state because your spirit has to be able to command and control your soul and your body. You must have, a, he, he's seeking that you maintain the clean heart and keeping your way, your hands from evil to be in control of his riches, his honor, and his positions of power. God's going to handle your enemies. You don't have to do nothing. Just wait, stand still, and watch the salvation of the Lord. Because handling your enemies is packaging your salvation. Time to put away childish ways. Romans 8, 14 through 17 reads, for as many as are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to, to bear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. If heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You're going to have to go through some things. Jesus went through the cru crucifixion. He dealt with difficult people. You're gonna, our crucifixions aren't being nailed to a cross, but there are other situations in which we have to crucify ourselves and just die. To glorify together with Christ, the veiled mind, a mind that's still being deceived by this present world, must be pulled away. The deceptions of fleshly living, thinking, and choosing. This is the achievement of the deliverance processes in our lives. When God can get you to pull off the flesh, you can move into the supernatural, into the spirit, into revelation. You must fill yourself and be fed by the word of God and be led by the spirit. Luke 4, 1. It's what Jesus did and is, and he whooped the enemy's butt every time. Apostle Leroy of of Dara, Louisiana, in the camp meeting 22 Wednesday night, said, living the supernatural life is a privilege, but many ways of a man or woman, and that's parentheses for emphasis, many ways of a man or woman must be destroyed to enjoy it. You will be synonymous, co-heir to the kingdom and earth, just as Jesus was. When we pray the heavenly prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy will be done is a bold request which calls down the will, the ways, and word of God to instruct us to accomplish just that. But when the word of instruction and direction comes, many do not obey. You've been calling it down and you're not going to obey it. Many are called, but few are chosen. All are children of God, but few are sons and daughters. Jesus says in John 10, 10 through 11, that he is the owner of the sheep. And 
as the good shepherd uh let me go let me go to it let me go to it let me go to it let me see i'm probably shouting i'm so sorry i i, I got excited We're going to stay amplified. So let me just start at 10, 10, because I was about to go into 11. And then we'll be closing shortly. I appreciate everyone who is still here. It says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So if we're not sitting there, here, here's a point for you. You need to spend more time, more time in his word, getting to know Jesus and let him develop. you. Let him do the surgery that's necessary to help you arrive at your best self because he has, he has some place to take you. Deliverance is, is, is about moving somewhere not being stagnant, stuck, and just the same, not growing, not thriving, not living. No, deliverance is about you thriving, living, doing more than just surviving. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life, his own life for the sheep. But the hired man who merely serves for wages, who is neither the shepherd nor the owner of the sheep, when he sees the wolf coming, he runs, he deserts the flock, and the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. The man runs because he is a hired hand, someone who's serving for wages and is not really concerned about the safety of the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know without any doubt those who are my own and my own know me and have a deep, personal relationship with me even as the father knows me and i know the father i lay down my very own life sacrificing it for the benefit of the sheep i have other sheep besides these that are not in this fold i must bring those also and they will listen to my voice and pay attention to my call and they will become one flock with one shepherd for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my own life so that I may take it back. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down voluntarily. I am authorized and have power to lay it down and to give it up. And I am authorized and have power to take it back. This command I have received from my father. So when you're dying to yourself, crucifying yourself daily, picking up your cross. You're saying, not my ways, but your ways. Not my will, but your will. Not my plans, but your plans. I have these thoughts. I'm gonna turn up, I'm a vent, but nevertheless, I'm gonna do what you say. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my own life so that I may take it back. For this reason, the father loves me because I'll lay down my life. I will sacrifice what I really wanna do because I really wanna get you together right now. 
gonna walk away. I'm gonna walk away. Walk away. Because when you do what God has instructed you to do, the accuser can't come from you. He has zero grounds for an accusation. Never, it doesn't mean that I didn't think about it, but I didn't do it. The enemy can only accuse you by your flesh. He can't accuse you for any other thing other than what you're going to transact in this world. He's the spirit of this world. Only until the judgment. If you want more, want life more abundantly, and if you want Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, God got to do some work on you. He wants to carry out his purposes and do super abundantly more than all you can dare to ask or think. Infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, and dreams, according to his power working in us. He'll give you more power if you let him clean you up. It's not for you to do on your own. You couldn't accomplish salvation on your own. So what makes you think you can clean yourself up from the sin and the residue of sin that remains in you? God answers prayers, just not in our way, not on our timetable, but it's in his way by his plan, purposes, and timing. And I say ours because I'm, I'm still subject to that. Sometimes I don't be wanting him to do things the way he's doing it, but he's so omniscient and so strategic in how he crafts it. He knows exactly what he's doing to get you to arrive to your best self. So surprise, you can't do it on your own. You couldn't deliver yourself on your own accord from the power, uh, on your own on your own accord with your power to deliver yourself from the penalty of sin of uh, which which is disobedience to the law. We couldn't deliver ourselves from spiritual death and separation from God. Jesus had to come down and do it. We couldn't deliver ourselves from hell if we disobey God and reject Jesus and don't make the confession or if we say okay don't worry about it. I'm gonna go crucify my you couldn't do it because you're not fully God and you weren't able to perfect the law this is why Jesus had to come so the old testament proves that nothing but the cross can take care of that and because Christ handled the business of the father on the cross he has literally opened up the way of all the blessings, the promises, the inheritance, the prosperity, the wisdom, the understanding, the insight, everything we need for life more abundantly. So Father, we thank you again that we were able to come before you in your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening the scripture to us, giving us new understanding, new revelation, new insight. Pour down on us fresh anointing, fresh answers, fresh awareness, and a fresh attitude. Now unto him who is able to do magnificently, abundantly above all that I can ask, think, or pray. To you be all the glory, all the power, all the dominion, and the adoration. 
is in Jesus' mighty, matchless, majestic, marvelous name I pray. Amen.